The winner of the Honor Society Award is not Jan Brady. It is Nora Coombs with a score of 95. We will present Nora's award at assembly next week so her parents can be present. I wish I had a special award for Jan Brady for calling this era to my attention. She has today set a standard of sportsmanship and honesty that truly gives meaning to the words honor society. Hey everybody, what's the word? Comics, Oscars, Godfather, so much to discuss, so much to diss and cuss. Yeah, pretty cool, right? I wish I had a special award for Jan Brady for calling this error to my attention. What does it all mean? I don't know what it means either, but that's what we're going to talk about today. We don't have time for nonsense tonight. Let's get it started. driving me crazy. I just want to get going already because, well, first of all, I'm, I'm taping this on a special Tuesday night because tomorrow, when I usually tape, I just have so much going on and yet nothing going on, but I have stuff going on. Yeah, I got the Godfather going on, right? I got that next Tuesday, a week from today, taping this on a Tuesday night. Normally, I tape on a Wednesday night, but I'm doing Tom Papa's show at the Village Underground, which I love doing uh, on Wednesday night, so I'm not going to be able to record my normal time. And so I was like, uh-oh, I'm going to have to do a late night one. It's like almost 11 o'clock already. And there's a fire truck outside. Not my building. So I'm like, you know, because normally I'd be like, all right, let me see what's going on. But it's clearly the other building. But now I smell fire. And it's driving me crazy. I always smell fire in this building. I, there's always a fire truck outside. There's always a fire. And nobody knows whether to evacuate or not. But at least now, because I saw it outside, I know it's from the other building. So I think I'm okay. It's the, the building right next door. There's always some sort of fire. And it's always for the stupidest reason. And uh, it smells bad. It's hard to... Con I was, I'm glad I didn't open the windows. Because I definitely wouldn't have been able to concentrate. I, obviously, I can't concentrate with the song going either. And I have too much to discuss already. Come on. <laughs> I know I could turn it down. I don't feel like it. Okay, here we are. All right, we're back. Hello, everybody. I didn't want to um, miss a podcast. Well, the problem is, could I tape it on Thursday? Sure, I could. But uh, number one, putting out the podcast on a Friday? I don't know. I can't figure out what everybody's patterns are. I really don't know. Um, exhibit A. Exhibit B. Am I loud enough? Yeah, let me. I'm going to turn up my headphones because it's bothering me. Is this? No, wait. I'm, you know what? I'm not going to touch it now. We'll take that risk. And um, exhibit B. I don't know. I need for Thursday as an open day. First of all, I think I'm going to do a spot Thursday night because I got to get material together to open the show on next Tuesday, uh, material which I don't have together at all yet. And I just need to get on stage and get rid of the... It's good that I'm going on tomorrow night. Then it'll be great that I'm... Even if I'm just reading from a script, it's just good for me to get on in front of people because, you know, I don't do it enough to be comfortable. I mean, we talk about this all the time, but I don't do it enough to be comfortable 
just heading up on stage every three or four months and, and putting a whole show together. I mean, you know, you just need to get up there and do it. So, you know, I always have a spot at the stupid, horrible Broadway comedy club. Um, and I could get jobs at other clubs, but I'm not ready. I don't have a material prepared. People are like, do you want to open? Do you want to play here? Do you want to play there? I'm like, I- I'm not ready. I-, I have nothing prepared. I have to get something prepared. And it's very difficult to prepare stuff. And what I had prepared, I was trying the other day, you know, just home alone in front of my cat who likes everything I do, clearly. I assume that's what meow means. But um, it sucks. You know, I'm trying it, and it's not, it's not good. It's not good. Plus, oh, see, now I hear fire, hydr- fire sirens again. Sirens. Now I hear fire truck sirens again. See, I was... T- Maybe it is coming from my house. Well... I'm going to pull a Glenn Miller like here, and I'm just going to muddle through the podcast anyway. Did I say Glenn Miller? That's right, right? Isn't that the, the, the dude who uh, was <laughs> playing with his stupid band while the, the fighter jets were flying in the war or something? Isn't that Glenn Miller? <laughs> what an asshole. He's such a dick. He's like um, leading the band. I know he wrote the songs, but he's just leading the band, and he gets all the applause for, you know, what. meanwhile, the rest of the band wants to take cover. But he's like, come on, fellas. Um, it's a dick move. It's like um, those guys that played on that Titanic, and somebody told them to keep playing. What's the point? Well, they don't listen to us at dinner either, so we might as well. It does sound like a lot of fire trucks. This happens uh, once a year on the podcast. There's always a fire nearby. Well, you hear them coming now. I assumed it was at the other building. Maybe there is something going on. Well, that's exciting, but it throws me off because I can't concentrate. Stupid fire trucks. Anyway, I just ate an entire bag of Doritos. I ordered all this stuff from Walmart, and it came today, and I've been waiting for it. And when I say all this stuff, I mean, because for for Walmart, because I can't buy any of the stuff I want here. First of all, the selection is shitty in Manhattan. Number one, it's five to six dollars more than it would be at Walmart. So I buy cookies and chips and stuff. Now, I don't like to eat potato chips. Because they make my, you know, they make me sick kind of. And I don't like the way they taste in your mouth later. I took some gum, so I feel a little better. But once in a while, I want potato chips, you know, and I want to eat them. And I want Doritos. And the thing about Walmart is they um, have the good old-fashioned taco flavor, which we've talked about on the show before, which is the actual original Dorito. Before nacho cheese. But today, I was like so into nacho cheese. Because I haven't probably had a nacho cheese chip in like six months to a year. I really don't eat chips that often. It's kind of funny that I'm fat because I don't eat chips. I don't snack. You would think a person that doesn't snack would be thinner. But you know, I make up for it in what I eat during the, during the week. During my meals. Not during the week. Mostly the weekends. Ugh. I'm disgusting. Last night, I don't even want to tell you because I'm grossed out by it. I had a horrible weekend. I just, I mean, I just didn't do anything. And I could have, I could have done the podcast yesterday. I could have done it Sunday. I was just hanging around watching TV. I was very depressed. I don't know why. Uh, I, I don't know what happened. I just didn't do anything. On Saturday, I don't know how I did. My sleep patterns were all thrown off for some reason. And on Saturday, I finally left the house at like four in the afternoon because I had to pick up items for the Godfather. Like um, these, uh, do you remember in the scene 
where they're getting married in Sicily and they're walking around handing out candy. I had to get that. They're white almonds. They're almonds. I guess they're chocolate-covered almonds, but they're in a white shell. And that means... I have it here. Actually, I don't know if I can find it. I should have thought of this first or before. Um, hmm. This is it probably, right? Yeah. Uh, hold on. Cause I'm, I'm just looking through the script. It's right here. Uh, Michael and Apollonia spoon out confetti to their guests. It's actually called Italian confetti. The confetti was a Sicilian candy made of almonds dipped in chocolate and covered with a hard sugar coating. The colors celebrate different events. For the birth of a boy, they'd be blue. For a girl, pink. For a graduation, red. And for a wedding, they are white. And I put in, so now you know what and why they're doing this ridiculous bit. So they got to hand out that confetti. So I had to buy it. And it was really hard to find. I guess I could have gotten it on Amazon, but I thought it'd get cheaper just going down a little Italy. But it was really tough to find. It was at the last store I went to. And the guy that sold it to me was such an asshole. I can't wait to go back there and punch him in the face. If I didn't need it so badly, I would have said, listen, old man, you're a fucking jerk off. He was such a dick about it. He was like throwing them in the bag like the shells were breaking. But I didn't say anything. I held my cool because I needed them. Meanwhile, they were $15 a pound. I got two pounds. I don't know. I mean, because you want to have a lot of them so they can spoon them out even though it's stupid. I guess I'm going to go through the audience and spoon them out, right? And if Rachel and Natterman do that, that could be funny. I mean, if the waiters and waitresses can go by, the actors should be able to. I guess we'll see. Uh, I haven't tried one because I don't care for almonds, but everybody could eat them if they wanted to. Uh, it should be a funny bit, but I had to get that. I had to get, um, I don't know, a couple of other things, uh, uh, glasses. I, I don't know, stuff. I was just walking around looking for props. That's what I decided to do with my Saturday on a three-day weekend because I'm a fucking idiot and I don't have anything else going on. It's really messed up. Friday, I went out to dinner with an old friend whose wife I really, at this point, just don't care for. And I probably haven't talked about it on the podcast, but she did the dickiest thing ever. Um, not, <laughs> not ever. I um, said, so we're going to this restaurant. Everybody, no gifts, bring a bottle of wine. Already I'm angry because I know my friend likes gifts. So why is his wife telling us not to bring any gifts? Why would somebody do that? She's like, no gifts. I'm like, but he loves gifts. And then she bring a bottle of wine. I'm like, fine, we'll bring a bottle of wine. We all bring a bottle of wine. We get there. Oh, she's like, oh, what kind of wine is that? We're like, I don't know. She's like, oh, I can't drink that. They're all from California. And we're like, why didn't you say when you bring a bottle of wine not to bring wines from California because I don't drink them? Let alone the fact that it's not her birthday anyway. Why? I said, why would you put that in email? She goes, I've told you a hundred times. And I'm like, a hundred times? I've never heard that before. In my, I've never heard that from anybody in my life. And quite frankly, if you had a good reason for not drinking wine from California, whatever it is, any kind of reason. If you have a statement that you're going to say why you don't like drinking wines from California, well, I can understand. If she even said uh, Donald Trump doesn't support the uh, vineyards or something stupid like that, I would say, oh, well, I can get that. She had nothing. She had no, who knows why she doesn't drink wines from California. Man, what, do we, what do we care what she drinks? It's our friend's birthday anyway. Oh, this sucked. It just put me in a bad mood. Let alone we drove him home. And then I stopped at 7-Eleven to get some coffee for my friend Leah was driving, and she got angry at that. 
She got angry at that so I can get the guy who had one glass of wine, a cup of coffee, so he could drive them home. Are you kidding? That ain't cool. That's not cool. So that put me in a bad mood for the whole weekend, even though technically I had a good time with everybody else. But that did put me in a bad mood. Maybe. Maybe I'm blaming the whole weekend on that. I don't know. I didn't do anything else. I'm really upset with myself. I could have done all this stuff for The Godfather. I could have prepared because now I got to get the sound bites together. And I got to get, you know, I, I mean, I got some of the props. But I got to get the sound bites and all that other kind of stuff. The script's ready. I put them in different fonts for all the actors so they, you know, just for their scenes so they can read it better on stage. And I, I didn't do any of that. And I had nothing but time this weekend to do it. And I don't know. I was just miserable. And every time, I'm just like, let me go out and get a cup of coffee. It'll change everything. I couldn't get out. I just couldn't get out of the house. I have so much times like that. I just can't leave the house. And it was a beautiful weekend. I don't know why. It's like, oh, I'll order something in, and then I'll go. Then I order something. I'm like, well, I'll just watch TV for an hour. I mean, it's pathetic because now I'm not even going to Soul Cycle. You know, I mean, Soul Cycle was, like, helpful. It helped me. I mean, it got me out of the house, but... I can't go. It's all the way on the Upper West Side, and it's been too cold in the morning to go there because I like to ride the bike there because I hate taking the subway up there because it's weird. Or taking a taxi, then you're, you're wasting money. I, I don't know. Ugh, I'm so whiny today. But mostly, and plus, I wanted that girl Bethel to be on the show today because I like having somebody who's in The Godfather to come on the podcast before The Godfather, but... I don't know, this whole, this particular episode's a mess for me. I finally got the script into a structure that I'm pleased with. Um, I, I, I was only able to get rid of two pages. It's still 68 pages, but I like it now. It's, it's a little tighter. Even those two pages was very helpful, and I'm very happy with it now, I think. Um, I, you know, it's long, but I think it covers everything. Like, how about this one? This will be funny. I think, I think. You tell me this. I'm just going through random pages. We cut to Connie and Carlo's apartment that evening. The phone rang. Oh, by, by the way, let me just tell you. Ross is, Russ Maneev is now out. He's out. He called me outside. He's like, hey, brother, I can't do it. I'm like, brother, you're like the worst person ever. No, you can't do it. He's got to, I don't know what the hell he's doing. So that stunk. So that ruined my Saturday too. Now I fixed things within five minutes because I had a plan just in case he flaked. Uh, so now DC Benny is going to play Sonny. I'm okay with that. I think you'll be okay with that too if you're coming to see the show and listening to this podcast. And what I did was I, <laughs> listen to this. Many years ago, uh, I went to Ithaca College. Uh, now, I had always wanted to be an actor. And we've talked about this in the show. The reason why I'm not... Uh, as well off as, as my friends like Artie and Attell and Sarah Silverman, the reason why I didn't do as well is because I wasn't a stand-up comic. I wasn't a true stand-up comic. I had always wanted to be a comic actor. That's all I ever wanted to do and be on the radio like this. I mean, I got to say, that's why I love doing the podcast and I bring it to you weekly because I love doing this. I've always liked just talking into a microphone yet not on stage in front of people. So this is perfect for me. Uh, but, okay, so I lose because I didn't want to be a stand-up and I didn't put the time into it, and that's my fault and whatever. But I always wanted to be an actor, but on the flip side of that, I didn't want to be around theater people. Now, anybody that's 
ever been around theater people, you know what I'm talking about. But theater people are weird. They're clicky. They don't let people in from the outside. And that wasn't for me. And maybe comics do the same, but comics are really funny. (laughs) And, uh, you know, you're always going to laugh, so it's better. But I think they do let people in. Uh, I mean, they're picky, but they're not clicky. They're not clicky. They're clicky in a way, but that's all they have is they are out every night at this location, and that's where they are, and what are you going to do? So comics date other comics, or they date the wait staff. I mean, it's just like it's being in a click. But theater people are very clicky, and they do not like outsiders. And when I was in college, I could not be a theater person. I could not go into the theater department of school because I just didn't want to end like that. When I was in high school, uh, you know, I was part of the theater crowd, but I just wanted to always have a separate thing to do. I wanted to act, but then I wanted to be out. The fact of the matter is anything you do in life It's almost impossible to have an outside life. And I'm trying to work it out. And it's taken me now, I'm what, you know, in my 50s. And it's taken this long because I didn't commit to one lifestyle. I always wanted to have outside interaction with people. No matter what I do, I needed an outside game. And if you, it's very, very difficult to do. Some people can achieve it, but it's very rare. No matter what you do. If you're on Wall Street, you need to just be on Wall Street. You need to think and breathe Wall Street and be a good stockbroker or whatever you're going to do. And you really don't have any other outside friends, except maybe you meet a wife or a family or something like that, but it's very rare. And theater was just like that, and it was worse. And the people were just kind of jerks and mean to other people and nasty and not in a fun way like the comics are, you know, like if you're hanging out with Louie and he's mocking somebody because of their clothing. I mean, that's hilarious. Um... And, and you have to assume that the person wearing the clothing you're making fun of deserves it. Whereas theater people, they don't have anything funny to say. So they're just mocking people to mock people. I don't know. Anyway, whatever the story may be, I was able to get into a couple of plays in college, which I was thrilled about. Being on the outside, being able to be in the plays was terrific. Because then I met some of the very nice people and I also saw some of the horrible theater people, which is why I couldn't be a theater major even though I really would have liked that very much to just act but they were kind enough to put me in a couple of the plays I was probably one of the only outside people involved I I, I think if I could be honest with you I think the reason I got in sophomore year was because I'm Jewish and they were doing a production of The Wall which was a holocaust play <laughs> which you know it's like a hello <laughs> yeah, I think I pretty much showed up and they were like hey this guy's all right but uh no i had a lot of lines and it was a very serious scene too and it was really funny because you know i was on tv i was on this comedy show uh and but i had the most serious part in the play and it was so weird my friends were like this doesn't add up at all like i was the one that started the play serious when the first this particular play first opens it's really funny. Everybody's having a good time, even though it takes place during the Holocaust. And I come in and bring everyone down. It was the strangest casting of all time, let alone the first day. They're like, uh, Jessica, can you grow a mustache? And at that time, I definitely could not. So they painted one on me, which was hilarious. Pincheck. Pincheck was my name. Hello, Pincheck. And I would be like, my friend, you are a Jew. There is no room for merriment. It was something like that. It was something ridiculous where I, I mean, everybody's like laughing and being like, they have a guy in there who's like, what do you want? He was like Sid Dithers and he was hilarious. He goes, what? How do you think I was dying? And then I come in, 
What is all this laughter? My friend, you are a Jew. And we shouldn't be laughing. I mean, it was it was so fucked up. Um, it was so funny. And I remember when I was on this TV show, you know, we, we had a big TV station there. I think it was a good communication school. And there was, uh, you know, a, a show where they reviewed the school plays or they reviewed movies. And one of the girls on the show, I remember her name was Susie Fogarty. She was cute as a button. And she mentioned me in the play, and it also stars Dave Juskow. And the people there, they hated me. And they were like, why did you mention him? Like, no, because he starts, he starts the play. He's integral to the play. She had to, like, explain why she mentioned me. Like, we know he, you're his friend and whatever, and, and it, was, it was pathetic. But it, the funny thing is, uh, it's all coming back to me. That's why I'm mentioning it. It's, like, really coming back to me that I was, like, that I started the, the seriousness of the play. It's classic. And then I was in another play where I played the cab driver. It was a hot, hot out Baltimore. And I played the cab driver. And I couldn't have been more thrilled. It's just a tiny part. Like, excuse me, somebody order a cab? Hello? Hey, hey. Lady, come on. My meter's running. It was a scene. I come in at the end. It was in the round. I just come in. I got my cap. <laughs> it was terrific. I loved it. In the yearbook, it says, Dave Juskow has cab driver. It's going to be great. You know, years from now when they're like... Uh, Oh, this guy's unbelievable. How did he start? Well, he was the cab driver in Hot Out Baltimore. Everybody knows that. All the food that I ate over the weekend came in uh, paper bags, and I left them on the table. I just didn't even feel like clearing up. I'm like, let's get it together. So my cat rips them and eats them. You might hear that during the podcast. She's ripping the paper bags. Yeah, she loves it. Um, Anyway, the point being to all this is that um, I met a lot of very nice people, but I also met a lot of you know bad people, well, like everybody does. Uh, but anyway, about two weeks ago, when I was trying to figure out who was going to narrate before I had thought about DC Benny, um, one of the guys from the theater department years ago Facebooked and said, we're having a theater reunion, and I was included in the Facebook you know, uh, alert or whatever, you know, like I was included and I I was so happy that I was included the Ithaca college theater. So, you know, department alumni that I was included. I I was thrilled to be included. You know, you know what I mean? Because you you just want to be somebody like myself who has clearly a lot of abandonment issues to be included with that. Even though I wasn't technically a theater major, I was thrilled as gay as it is. And the guy that included me is going to narrate The Godfather. Now, I haven't seen this guy in 30 years. Mark Friedman. Big guy. He played, uh, he, he was in the wall with me. He's been calling me Pincheck for 30 years. <laughs> but he was a nice guy. He actually got me at my, at my uh, old apartment in Queens. And said, like, we, but we were still never like, we never hung out. But we liked each other. And I liked him. And I looked him up online a little bit, and I was like, I don't know, he, how can he not do voiceovers? He's like huge. He's like six foot five. I just remember with a booming voice. So I'm like, maybe he does voiceovers. And then he Facebooked something on Saturday. I guess he's got kids, and his daughters were going away in the airport. And this voiceover agent I used to know, Stacy Seidel, liked the photo. And I'm like, okay, if he knows her, then he does voiceovers. I'm going to ask him to do it. I asked him to do it, and he said, yes, let's do it. He's into it. And he's a professional. So this should work perfect. He should, I mean, this should work perfect. He's a professional. I don't know. 
I think he'll be great. The question is, can he do any of the comedy parts? You know, because that's the thing where, you know, when you're narrating it, there's also a lot of funny parts where the best narrator would be Ray Liotta's character from Goodfellas, you know, or me, but only because I know how it works. You know, but like, um, like for instance, let me get to a part. I like, you know, talking about it when we're, before we do the show. I hope you don't mind. Um, I know exactly what part it is, and I don't mind ruining it. Uh, here we go. Here we go. This is the scene where, uh, you know, Sonny's like, hey, the nigga's having a good time up there with the, uh, <laughs> you know. And he's like, don't you ever tell her to shut up. You got that? Santino, don't interfere. Yes, mama. Hey, look, Sonny, Tom, I'd like to talk to you maybe after dinner. I could do you know, a lot more for the family. Hey, we don't discuss business at the table. And uh, Carlo, because he's played by Todd Barry, will be like, that's some attitude you got, dummy. And then the narrator says, I can't tell who's a bigger douche in this scene. Connie is not upset about her brother using the N-word at the table in front of children, but she's more upset he's talking, quote, business. And how is telling a story about black people driving Cadillacs business? What are they supposed to talk about at the table? Sounded like a rousing discussion starter to me. And then, of course, Carlo's such a tool, he tells his wife to shut up in front of her mother and hot-headed brother, then has the nerve to ask for a job after that? Carlo, and then, uh, I don't mind spoiling it. Carlo should take a lesson from Rodney Dangerfield at the end of the movie Easy Money. Here's a small scene performed by some of our cast, because you know I love doing Rodney. Mom is going to be like, Shrimpton, no dessert for Mr. Capoletti. And I'll be like, all right, Mom. And Shrimpton, Mr. Capoletti is skipping the coffee, too. It'll keep me awake, right, Mom? Right, dear. And Shrimpton, I noticed a bottle of beer in the refrigerator. Get rid of it. All right again, Mom. For years, I wouldn't kiss my mother-in-law in the mouth. I wind up kissing her ass. And they'll play the easy money music. Oh, come on. It's going to kill, I tell you. But it's like if this guy's doing it with the booming voice, then what is it going to be like? Um, sounded, sounded like a rousing discussion starter to me. And then, of course, Carlo's such a tool. Well, I don't know. I guess we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. It always works out okay. Like I said, it's just a little long. But if we breeze through it, already Todd Barry's like, do I really need to rehearse? I mean, come on. Uh, you know how it is, people. People, let me tell you something. You know how it is. Listen. Listen. It's me, the moan. I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to tell you one time. I mean, let's get you a woman. I got lines from Fast Times in there, too, by the way. You want to hear them? Sure you do. Because a lot of you aren't going to be there. I'm just going to give it to you. Here it is. You're going to like it. Uh, well, you just do what I tell you to do, goddammit. If I had a wartime consigliere, a Sicilian, I wouldn't be in this shape. So Papa Jenko, look what I got. Whoa. Where is that coming from? Uh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. No, no. You know what, Sonny? I always stick up for you. Whenever people say that Sonny, he's a loudmouth, and they say that a lot. I always say, hey, you just don't know Sonny. When they call you an idiot, I say, Sonny's not an idiot. You just don't, don't know him. Well, maybe you know something, man. Maybe they do know you pretty good. Maybe I'm just finding out now. What the fuck are you talking about? It's from Fast Times Ridgemont High. Just felt it would fit in here. Was I wrong? Listen, Mom made a little dinner. It's Sunday. Let's, let's go eat. Yeah, all right. You just make sure you get those Earth, Wind, and Fire tickets to Jefferson's going to be pissed. <laughs> Stuff writes itself. It's fast times in the Godfather combined. Oh, let's talk about crashing. Let's talk about crashing. 
Crashing aired on Sunday. Now, oh my God, people, people, I can't believe I'm 30 minutes in where I'm bringing, you know, okay, you ready for this? Are you sitting down? Have you had enough to eat? Some of you already know this. I'm taking a sip for this. Hold on a second. This is unbelievable. Friday, Judd Apatow Instagrams a photo of the, oh, what do you call it? The premiere, the crashing premiere in L.A. He Instagrams a photo taken at the venue where the crashing premiere was in L.A. Uh, a week ago Wednesday, last the last Wednesday. The photo is at the Avalon in Hollywood, and the photo he Instagrams and tweets is everybody on the floor of the Avalon at tables and a huge billboard-size LCD screen of Pete Holmes, Steve Agee, Sarah Silverman, and me. A huge, huge banner-like like uh like the, the the devil's winning the Stanley Cup that they'll raise like a bigger than that like like a jumbotron screen with my picture on it but I wasn't invited <laughs> all day long I kept showing look at this look at this look at this. it's a huge screen but I'm not invited people forgot to tell me it was going on I didn't how how do I not get invited there's a huge screen they're setting it up they're like here's what I'd like to do I'd like to put some screens of uh, uh Pete uh, Sarah Silverman and Dave Juskow here oh shit we forgot to invite Juskow I mean and it's not just that the lovely Beth Stalling Stelling who wrote my particular episode and who is the best um she texted me a bunch of photos from that night she was there and it, it wasn't just that one photo that he Instagrammed. There's a bunch of stills of me because that's my screen. I'm sorry if I'm not explaining this correctly, but I'm just as baffled as you are. I'm in every ad. <laughs> I know I don't have any lines, but I'm in every advertisement. And then there's a huge poster of me at the screening, but I'm not invited. Well, that doesn't add up. It's exciting, but it's still weird, right? And I don't come in until episode six. But the way it looks in the uh, premiere is that I have a huge part in the show. It looks like, even though we know in the show, it looks like there's these three other comics, the black guy, that the guy with the beard, and the Indian girl. That looks like they become Pete's friends. It looks that way. I haven't seen any of the episodes except the first one like you did. And then, but it looks like I'm his best friend in the show. <laughs> it's, it's weird. Um, I don't know. So I guess I'm not getting cut out. I, it'd be really awkward if they cut out all my scenes, but yet left me in all the posters. It's so strange. But it's awesome, but it's weird. I would have flown out on my own dime to be at that, right? Wouldn't you? I mean, wouldn't that be awesome to be walking around that area with my huge... They're like, oh, wait, are you that guy there? I'm like, oh, am I? Oh, am I up there? <laughs> it's so weird. I, oh, my God, that is me, isn't it? <laughs> oh. 
I look horrible in it too. It pisses me off. I thought I looked slim in that devil's one, but the way I'm sitting, I just look so fat. Oh, it's horrible. But anyway, I watched on Sunday. And uh, what'd you guys think? I think it did pretty well. Uh, I'd heard it did well ratings wise, but not sure yet. Um, I enjoyed it. I mean, let's face it. The show's the show. And then Artie comes on. First of all, it was amazing seeing all our pals from the Comedy Cellar. I mean, well, who's the first person we see? Uh, well, first, Jay Okerson, who hates me now. But whatever, nice to see him. Dan Natterman performing at the Village Underground, where we're going to be performing The Godfather, where I'm performing tomorrow. It's very exciting. Dan Natterman's doing his set. Then they go upstairs. You see a lot of the staff. You know, Esty's in the audience. She's the one that books all the comics for the past 30 years. And she has like the funniest lines. All right, some jokes. She was hilarious. Um, what the manager's Val is in there like, hey, we just lit Natterman. I mean, it's great to see those people. If I wasn't in it, I'd be furious that they were in it because they're not actors. I'd be furious. But I'm in it. So I love that everybody's in it. And then Rachel, Jeff Ross, um, Greer. I don't know who that black woman who they were sitting with is, but um, it was just great to see everybody. It's exciting, you know. And and then and then there's the first part of the episode, and then there's where Artie single-handedly saves the show. Artie, as I told you before, because I had seen a couple of clips with him, I said, anybody that is an Artie fan, this is going to be, I mean, this is it. I mean, this is going to put him on another level. You thought you loved Artie before. This is the greatest thing that could happen if you're a fan of Artie's. I mean, he was hilarious. Him running away, pulling up his pants, and just every time he runs... I don't know whether that's in every show, but it should be because it's pretty fucking funny every time. Him with the homeless guy, him talking to Pete while he's sleeping at the end. I mean, he was so good. And it is if it's not obvious to you now, already what the part wasn't supposed to be that big, but it's so clear Judd Apatow was there and just goes, this is the show. You know, I mean, it's so obvious. Somebody just said, look at this. And. I don't know what, I mean, I know just from that kid in my office what Pete Holmes fans are like, and they're very much like Pete, and they're wholesome, and they're good, and they're Christian, or whatever they are. They're not arty. And I think, I my, my guess is they would love a show like this because they get to meet all these oddball characters that maybe they wouldn't meet in their existence or, or have dealings with, and a person like Artie is, you know, ridiculously interesting and what a great actor, too, right? I mean, he was just so, he was really terrific, and that made the show. Made the show. One of my friends had mentioned, how do you not mention the L on that guy's chest, that guy who's sleeping with his wife? How do you not mention that that's a Laverne L? And I said, because I don't think Pete's fans would give a crap. I don't think they would know who Laverne is from Laverne and Shirley. So, just interesting, but... I did enjoy it. I enjoyed watching it, and um, I just can't wait to watch it every Sunday. I had no one to watch it with, really. Uh, I guess I could have made plans, but I think years ago I would have made plans at somebody's house every Sunday, but I just don't know anybody. That's why I was here all weekend. I mean, I couldn't even leave the house. I didn't even shower. I mean, if I went over somebody's house, I would have showered, but there was no reason. I mean, it was horrible. Today's the first day I left the house since, like, Friday. Well, maybe I went to the diner on Sunday with some people. That was nice. Oh, yeah. Maybe I went out Sunday. Well, maybe it wasn't that bad. Oh, whatever. It doesn't matter. Anywho, let's get to 
the reason we're here today, thanks to the great Steve Torelli and Gabriel Noel, who'd mentioned to me on Twitter, are you going to talk about the Rolling Stone top 50 comedy list? Now, I thought for some reason they were talking about a list that had come out years ago, but apparently it's a brand new list. It only came out a week ago. And I was like, nah, I'm not going to talk about that list because I don't, I don't care. I don't, I mean, I know you, you know, want to hear what I think about the list and stuff, but I, I mean, I would be honest, but that honesty has been gotten to me a lot of trouble lately, so I don't want to talk about, talk about it. But then they mentioned, and I hadn't seen the list, and then they mentioned the most important thing, which is why I say, I wish I had a special award for Jan Brady for calling this error to my attention. Top 50 comics of all time. Rolling Stone, top 50 comics of all time. And David Attell is not on this list. This is the worst journalism error in the history of journalism. Obviously not in the history, but still it's pretty fucking bad. Now, let's first look at the facts that when you have a list like this, many people are put on and many people are left off. So you talk about it. So it is a little controversial. But this is not because they left it off, so let's leave Dave off so people are talking about it. No, this is an error in major judgment, and whoever wrote this article needs to be fired. I don't care who the fuck you put on, and and, and they put on a lot of people, I mean, none of us agree with, but you can make an argument for everyone on the list, but you cannot make an argument for leaving David Tell off. And I can tell you exactly why. Because if we call up these Rolling Stone people and we say, we would like you to poll. Let me call those those Quinnipiac uh, Donald Trump polls or whatever, somebody who polls. We'll call a polling company and ask them to contact whoever we got to do to contact every person on this list who's alive. And let's find out who they say they think the best comic is of all time. Yeah, of all time. Now, of all time, we're going to get Richard Pryor, George Conn. But let's just say if they say, who's the best comic? If you leave out all time, every single person alive on this list, barring a few exceptions who are too full of themselves, Aziz, is going to say Dave Attell is the best comic. Everyone is going to say Dave Attell. Dave Attell. Except for Dave Attell, he's not going to say it. Everyone on this list is going to say that. That's what makes this list full of shit. Now remember, we're talking all time. And they got a lot of nerve. The lower 30, I think I agree with all of them. But the first 20, it's very difficult to call. Wanda Sykes at 50, I'm not going to go through all of them, maybe a little bit, but see, Wanda Sykes, who is a doll and adorable and, and a great person and that funny, do I consider her the best comic of all time? One of the greats? Uh, comic? She, at this point, she's more of a comic actress. That's what she's going to be known for. So I instantly take her off the list. Aziz Ansari, see, this is a tough one. 
in the the question is if it's all time in 20 years are we going to be talking about Aziz Ansari? Maybe. Now this guy sells out Madison Square Garden so you can't leave him off the list. But this might be his time. But if that's the answer, then why isn't Andrew Dice Clay on this list? Or is he? Maybe he is. I don't know. But I don't think he is. But this is one of the first guys to sell out the garden. You know what I mean? One of the first comics to ever do anything like that? Then how is he not on this list? Just because he's not relevant anymore? Is Aziz really going to be relevant 20 years from now? But I see how you put him on the list. I get that. Margaret Cho, I agree she's on this list. I absolutely do. Do I like her comedy? Do I care? No, but you have to put her on this list because she's actually a groundbreaker. Now, I don't think they had any Asian comics at that time, so you know what? I leave her on this list. And she's been inter- and she's been around for almost 20 years. So we'll keep her on the list. Elaine Boozler? I think you actually have to keep her on this list. As much as you may not like her, you may not find her funny ever. She may be a complete douche in person. I think you got to put her on the list. She was one of the few popular women comics when there wasn't were no women in comedy, you know, when there was five. Reggie Watts, I don't put Reggie Watts on this list. This is ridiculous. He's like an improv guy. He's a character. He's not a comedian. This is ridiculous. Reggie Watts, are you fucking kidding me? How is he on this list? I don't know. Maybe I don't know his comedy. These are LA people. I don't know them that well. But I don't consider him a stand-up comic. I know there's lots of people that don't do stand-up anymore. But I don't think Reggie Watts was one of the greatest stand-up comics of all time. Reggie Watts, and I I know David Tell's not on this, but let's pretend he is because this is ridiculous. Reggie Watts and David Tell in the same category? No. Freddie Prince? Absolutely. Russell Peters? Excellent example. I think you have to put him on the list. Russell Peters is that unbelievable guy who maybe we've talked about in the show. I love talking about Russell Peters because he is one fascinating dude. He is not funny in the least, but he is a worldwide phenomenon. I mean a phenomenon. I mean, he sells out Radio City two, three times. You don't know who he is. Maybe you might know now because he's been on a couple of American shows like uh, uh, Last Comic Standing, shit like that. But holy shit. When I, you know, this Indian kid at my office goes, can you get Russell Peters tickets? I'm like, I have no idea who that is. He goes, well, he's selling out Radio City. I'm like, yeah, he's not selling out Radio. If I don't know who it is, he's not selling out Radio City. And there's another person I don't think is. Like, what about Larry the Cable Guy? That guy sells out Madison Square. Why isn't he on this list? I mean, I don't care for him, but if you're putting these idiots on the list. But Russell Peters has to be on this list. I actually think he does because he's bringing in a completely different world of comedy on this list, but it's fascinating that nobody knows who he is here. I'll leave him on the list. Amy Schumer, you absolutely put her on the list. She'll be around for a long time. She's going to be around for a long time. You got to put her on the list. And she's a very good comic. You got to put her on the list. Phyllis Diller is next. Absolutely, hands down. Bernie Mac. Yeah, he started the original Kings of Comedy, like, you know, the concert movie and all that stuff. Yeah, he's definitely on this list. He did well. If he, that's the other question. Would some of these people be on this list if they weren't dead? Gary Shandling, he'd definitely be on this list. He was a terrific stand-up comedy, stand-up comic, started other stand-up, you know, did a lot of stuff in comedy, um, you know, knew a lot of comedy. He, he, he's in the stand-up comedy world. He belongs on this list. Mom's Mabley, if you don't know her, she belongs on the list. Trust me. Roseanne Barr, absolutely, absolutely. Sam Kinison, duh. In fact, he's 37 Sam Kinison, for what he's known for and the way he is in uh, known in, in folklore and comedy, 
He should be at like five. 37 is a little weird. I have no idea who Daniel Kitson is. He's British. Tignataro should not be on this list. Tignataro, if you like her material, is 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 a good comic, but of all time, she should not be on this list. Will she be around in 20 years? I don't know, maybe. But I don't I I don't put Tignataro on the greatest 50 comics of all time. And I'm afraid to say that. I don't want any trouble. <laughs> I, I like Tig. But I, I, she should not be on this list. I'm, I, I know. I'm nervous about sitting. Now I'm terrified. Patton Oswalt, um, he was a great stand-up. But he's so many. He's so much. I don't think he ever really wanted to be a stand-up. I don't know whether I'd put him on this list. He's amazing and he's great. But, and he's. He's a very good stand-up, but on the greatest of all time. Janine Garofalo is the next one. Absolutely. Yet you got to put her on the list. Whether you like her or not, you have to. She was groundbreaking. She started the alternative comedy movement. She belongs on this list at that spot. Number 33. See, Patrice O'Neill, I wonder if he... I think if he was alive, he would be on this list. But... Yeah... I could let that one slip. And then Sarah Silverman. And then and then it and then I'm in agreement with all of these. I you know, you can go the order, give or take, but starting with Sarah on thirty one, you would everybody's correct. I mean, I'm talking about stand up comedy. Woody Allen, absolutely. Dick Gregory, yes. Robert Klein probably should be lower because of what he did and the kind of comedy he started. Um especially for Jews and like a little bit more edgier and, and talking about being Jewish, which nobody was doing. I know it sounds ridiculous now, but nobody was doing that. He should be lower on this list, except now he's, you know, it's, it's, it's later. I mean, he, he should really be at like number five or six. Uh, Red Fox, absolutely no question. Rodney Dangerfield, it's a joke. Eddie Murphy, yes. Eddie Murphy was an amazing stand-up comic that Delirious is probably still the greatest stand-up comedy special ever made. Eddie Murphy. But 25 is a good mark for him because he shouldn't be any lower because he's really not known for being a stand-up, but that stand-up special is one of the greatest of all time. Eddie Izzard, you know, British guy, I'd put him on there. I'd put him up a little higher. Don Rickles, duh. Jonathan Winters, he shouldn't be on this list. That's where Attell should be. 22. Yeah, that's right. 22. That's how fucking good a tell is. And that's how fucking good a tell's going to be with time. Jonathan Winters wasn't a stand-up comic. He was like an improv guy. And he was a horrible stand-up comic. Jonathan Winters might have been a groundbreaker. And he might have been good. And maybe you liked him or maybe you didn't. But he shouldn't be on this list. Bob Newhart, absolutely. Mitch Hedberg. Yes. If he wasn't dead, I wonder if he'd be on the list. And that's the worst part. Attell and Mitch Hedberg used to tour together. Where the fuck is Lewis Black on this list? The three of them used to tour. Lewis Black is, a, is an amazing comic. He's not on this list. Mitch Hedberg should probably be on the list, but then if Mitch Hedberg's going to be on, why isn't it? So if Attell had died instead of Mitch Hedberg, then he'd be on the list. Yes, he would, just for folklore. Albert Brooks, I think you put him on because he did some amazing stand-up on The Tonight Show, even though it was kind of a joke. But I can see him being on this list. Kevin Hart, yeah. 
I mean, what are you going to do? Bill Burr uh, of all time at this point? I don't care for him, but absolutely. Billy Connolly, yes, Scottish guy. Uh, Stephen Wright, definitely. Andy Kaufman, yes. Bill Hicks is a living legend. Uh, he has to be on the list. He has to be on the list. I'm just trying to think if he wasn't dead, if he didn't die prematurely, would he be on the list? Probably. Probably. Yeah, probably be even lower. Robin Williams, Steve Martin, Mort Saul. Mort Saul, it's a, you know going old school, but he you know started a lot of stuff. Dave Chappelle, I know everybody likes him. I guess he's on the list. Of, I mean, of course he's on the list. Uh, is he at nine? Nine's good for him, Dave Chappelle, because he'll be around for a long time too, and he'll probably even move up on the list. Cosby's on there. What are you going to take him off? You can't. You can't deny. It's like putting O.J. Simpson on a greatest pe- uh, rushing list. You know, what I mean, what are you going to do? It, it happened. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld, absolutely. Jerry Seinfeld is would be higher on the list if not for Seinfeld, but Jerry Seinfeld would have to be on the list even if there was no TV show Seinfeld because he was a he's a legendary comic. But he's seven because he's Seinfeld. Uh, Joan Rivers, thank God she's, you know, very close. Then your top five, Chris Rock, absolutely. Louis C.K., at this point, uh, you know, Louis C.K. at four at this point, the greatest comic of all time. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I guess I guess you would. I mean, he's going to be around for a long time, Louis. Uh, yeah, and then it goes Lenny Bruce, George Carlin, and Richard Pryor, and that is the that is the correct order. Uh, Louis C.K. is number four, but that makes sense, right? I mean, everybody knows he's he's the best. But I just mentioned three people that should be on this list. But forgetting uh, the one I said. Oh, my God. Now, what was I just saying with the Hedberg and Attell and Louis Black? And um, I had somebody else, too, and I, now I can't remember who it was. How is David Tell not on this list? How is he not at least 50? How is David Tell not on this list? Okay, you ask Wanda Sykes, not Aziri, not Aziz, not Margaret Cho, not Elaine Boozler, not Reggie, not Freddie Prince, obviously. Uh, yes, Russell Peters. Ask Amy Schumer. Go ahead. Ask, why don't you go ask Amy Schumer and the number four and five comics, Chris Rock and Louis C.K., who they feel is missing from this list, who they feel is the best comic. You know what they're going to say? They're going to say one of two things. They're going to say David Tell or possibly... Oh, my God. I can't remember. <laughs> uh the one that uh, David Tell emulated his whole life on, uh, Co- uh, Colin, uh, you know, oh my, Colin Quinn, Colin Quinn. How is Colin Quinn not on this list? David Tell taking his, you know, first, just like I said about Jay Okerson, taken from Attell, Attell took from Colin, and then, of course, Attell worked it out on his own, and now he's his own person. But how Colin Quinn or David Tell are not on this list? You people suck. And Colin Quinn will tell you it's David Tell. And Chris Rock will say it's David Tell. And Amy Schumer will say it's David Tell. And so will Louis C.K. They will stand on a Sarah Silverman. They will stand on a stack of Bibles saying the best comic is Dave Attell. And you people fucked up. And God, you're right, it's making me angry. Not just because he's my best friend. Because it's a, it's a major diss to anybody that makes 
an article saying the 50 best comics of all time. This isn't right now. If David Tell was dead, he'd be on this list. So why don't you take some of these dead people off and switch it up and put a tell on that list? I just mentioned four people you could take off this list and put in a tell. It's ridiculous. Where did I say he should be at? Like 30-something? It's very strange that Attell's not more famous. It doesn't make any sense. He's a living legend. He's the comics comic. I, I really feel like Attell is going to be... I've said this since, since the early 90s. I said David Tell is going to be like Don Rickles. David Tell is going to be around until he's 90 years old doing the same stuff just like Rickles. He'll always be able to sell out wherever he sells out, Vegas, all that stuff. He's not a garden guy. He's going to have Don Rickles' exact career. He's been in sitcoms. He's been in movies just like Rickles. And he'll always work Vegas. He'll always work Atlantic City. And someday, like Rickles did, Rickles was a tell, but Rickles was a little bit more fun and interesting in the sense of he was friendly and, you know, off stage he was much more social. And, but Rickles really didn't get his due. You know, we've known he's been around since the 50s, but he didn't really get his due until like 10 years ago where everybody was like, Rickles the greatest, Rickles, Rickles, Rickles. That's the way it's going to be like for Attell, clearly. If you don't put him on a list like this, it's a joke and a half. Speaking of a joke and a half, it was just for one second. Talk about the Oscars. I know we're not really doing a show unless I decide to do it next week, but the problem is it'll be the day after The Godfather, and I'm usually so hungover I can't really concentrate. Um, and like I said, I only don't want to do it because I hate all the movies that are nominated, except you know now I'm like in it to win it because I got that. The White Helmets. The White Helmets. Plus, remember that thing I told you I bet on documentary short for Sing? That went down from plus 700 to plus 300. Oh, ho. Uh-huh. Um, but look at listen to these stupid movies. Of course, La La Land's going to win because look what it's up against. Moonlight, Manchester by the Sea, Lion, Hidden Figures, Hell or High Water, Hacksaw Ridge, Fences. All of them suck. Oh, and Arrival. Who cares? They all stink, so La La Land's going to win. So what I did was I decided to go back through the years until I can find a movie that was completely deserving of a Best Picture Academy Award. I'm going to go all the way back. And you know how far I had to go to make a case, to make a case that, well, this particular movie may have a little staying power, maybe. But if you want to get serious, like the only movie that was completely deserving of all of its accolades and an Oscar and has staying power for the next 20, 30 years, I had to go back 20 years. 20 years before a deserving Best Picture Oscar. I had to go back to 1997 and Titanic for anything close to something that blew us away. And I'm sure a lot of you are being like, Titanic, that sucked. But it's a good movie and it was deserving and it's epic. And everything else before it pales in comparison. Spotlight won last year. I loved Spotlight. But, you know, who cares? You know what I would have given it to? The Martian. 
That that was amazing, and that is a good movie. That's one you think about. You think maybe that's the way it'll be in the future. That's a really good movie, and it holds up. And then the year before, two Michael Keaton movies in a row. Go figure, and he doesn't win anything. That stupid Birdman, which is a bag of shit. So you have two movies now that they won because there's nothing else, and they ain't blowing anybody away. Do you think anyone will ever talk about Birdman five years from now? The year before that, 12 Years a Slave. Did, did you even remember that existed? Is it a good movie? It's all right. Do we know why it won? I guess. What should have won that year? The Wolf of Wall Street. Martin Scorsese. That would have been fun. See, that's the, you know my criteria. Stuff that says something of what's going on now or, or something, you know, what, I don't know. It's a Wall Street movie. I think it, says, it sends a message. 12 Years a Slave. It's a very interesting movie. I don't know. I don't. The one before that, Argo. Does anyone care? Does anyone care? But again, there was nothing. There's, there's, there's nothing. I mean, I have all the lists here, and they're, they're all horrible movies. What are we going to give you? The Lincoln? Life of Pi? I mean, these are all horrible. The year before that, the worst. This is how, this is how La La went. This is how La La Land won. Actually, and, and it's messed up. The year before that, The Artist. Do you remember that stupid French film, that ridiculous film where that won everything? Best actor, best director, whatever. The Artist. Because it beat out, but it beat out Midnight in Paris, which we all love because a comedy's never going to win, or Moneyball, which was terrific. But yeah, how's that going to win Best Picture? The Artist. I'm telling you, we haven't found anything yet, right? The King's Speech. Fuck that. I'm trying to even look at stuff that should have won. Well, I told you that year, the social network should have won. The social network is the criteria I've been looking for. That's the one that should have won besides the King's speech, which is just no one cares. No one will ever remember. And it's stupid. And that's already seven years ago. After that, the Hurt Locker. Eh, maybe. It's still not. Oh, my God. It's not the Godfather. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the Godfather. And none of these films, Up in the Air, Up, A Serious Man, Precious, Inglorious Bad, what are they? These movies are horrible. The year before that, you can make a case because we talk about it. People know about it. Slumdog Millionaire. You can make a case that that was... A good movie, but is it Godfather-like? That's what I'm looking for. No. But you can make a case that is definitely deserving if there's nothing else, which there wasn't. Oh, it beat out the curious case of Benjamin Button. Well, good for them. It beat out Frost Nixon and The Reader. Jesus Christ. The year before that, No Country for Old Men. That's a fun film. You know what should have won that year? Juno. Juno was great. I watch it all the time. No Country for Old Men. It's all right. Still not that blockbuster we're looking for. 2006, The Departed. That movie sucked. I know that's where Martin Scorsese finally won, but I hate that movie. That's the worst Martin Scorsese movie. It makes me angry that that's the one that won. 2005, Crash. What? Are you kidding? What the? It beat out Brokeback Mountain, which, you know, could have made a case for. 
and nothing. I mean, there was nothing. Nothing. Look at these. They're, they're, they're winning because there's nothing else. Million Dollar Baby. It's a good film. Deserving of best picture of a whole year. Well, what was it up against? Finding Neverland, Ray, and Sideways. Of course it's going to win. 2003, The Lord of the Rings, the third, The Return of the King. Big fucking deal. All of this stinks. It stinks. 2002, Chicago. Are you kidding? Beat out Gangs of New York, The Hours, Lord of the Rings 2, and The Pianist. The Pianist. (laughs) The Pianist. I mean, look where we're going. We haven't found one blockbuster film that's worthy of an actual best picture. Remember the 70s? You could go through the list. You got Godfather 1, Godfather 2, um, Annie Hall. One Flew Over the Cougars. This is off the top of my head. These are classics. We haven't talked about one classic. And if Slumdog Millionaire is the only one that we can make a case for, then we haven't talked about any classics. And after that, A Beautiful Mind, Bag of Crap, Gladiator, Bag of Crap. I'm just saying Bag of Crap in the sense it's not a blockbuster. You know what should have won instead of Gladiator? Aaron Brockovich. That's a good movie. It's, it's an interesting movie. It's still not a blockbuster. That's all it was up against. It was up against nothing. The one I said it could make a case for in 1999, I was making a case for maybe American Beauty. That's a very good film, maybe deserving, but it's not. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. It's not Annie Hall. It's good. You know what I'm saying? It's it's just not the criteria of Titanic. A real movie that, wow, they just haven't made them. Because what was American Beauty? How did that win? Oh, I don't know. How did it win? Uh, well, there, it was up against The Sixth Sense. That should have won. That movie's unbelievable. That movie is amazing. Directed by an Indian guy? Why not go for it all? It was up against the Cider House Rules, the Green Mile, and the Insider. Well, no one cares. And he ate Shakespeare in Love. Are you fuck? Are you kidding me? Shakespeare in Love? It was up against nothing. Elizabeth, Life is Beautiful. Life is Beautiful. Oh, my God. That, oh, that movie sucks. Saving Private Ryan, The Thin Red Line. So then you got to go all the way back 20 years until you find Titanic. The you know second highest grossing movie of all time, and completely deserving of an Oscar, and it beat out as good as it gets. And I'm only saying that because that won everything else. It won best actor, best actress, screenplay. Beat out the Full Monty. Beat out Goodwill Hunting. Thank God. I don't want to give it to those two idiots. Uh, you know, they're that young. And L.A. Confidence is pretty good. So maybe it wasn't up against that much. But it's the only movie in 20 years that you can say, well, that is deserving of a best picture. You know what I mean? I think I'm right here. Although, of course, it could be all just my opinion, just like that stupid uh, list of every 50 comics. But how'd that guy get a job? How'd that guy get a job at Rolling Stone magazine? You know, in, in 1996, the English patient one, we all know what a joke that is. In fact, they make fun of it on Seinfeld to this day. I mean, to this day, you know, when you see it. Uh, what should have won that year? Jerry Maguire. Jerry Maguire is a great film and really something new and interesting when it came out. Or what about Fargo? How did the English patient beat these two legendary movies? 
Because I can even say if you said Fargo, you could say that one. That was a legendary film. You could put that up there. You could make a case for that one, but it didn't win. Then Braveheart, I guess. I you know so Mel Gibson can go fuck himself. So I don't care. And then ninety four, absolutely, absolutely, Forrest Gump. Yes, no, that had to win it all. It was amazing. Beat out four weddings and a funeral. Look, and quiz show. Boy, that was a good year. Four weddings and a funeral. Pulp Fiction. Quiz show and the Shawshank Redemption. All those movies. I mean, four weddings and funeral not going to win, but you know how much I think that's a great movie, and it is a good movie. It's a comedy though. Quiz show. It's one of the greatest movies ever made. I'm telling you, it stands the test of time. It's terrific. The Shawshank Redemption, obviously, same thing. But Forrest Gump, 94. What an outstanding year. Forrest Gump was able to beat all of those outstanding movies. Pulp Fiction's amazing. And Four Weddings and a Funeral is really one of the great comedies ever made. I mean, really, it is. Clearly, he was nominated for Best Picture. Why wouldn't it be? It was very interesting, and it was new, and it, you know you'd never seen anything like it before. Uh, you know now they make all those movies all the time, like our favorite Love Actually, which by the way, did you hear they're making like a little short sequel or something? We'll talk about it next time. But Forrest Gump beat them all out because Forrest Gump deserves a Best Picture. I mean that movie was ridiculous, and that's something you'd never seen before, and it just blew everything else away because for them not to actually give Quiz Show the best film with Robert Redford being involved or the Shawshank Redemption. It meant that Forrest Gump had to be that much better. So there it is. 97 and 94. You have things that have been Schindler's List. We know why that won, so that doesn't really count. Clint Eastwood won in 92 for Unforgiven. That's a great film. That's a good one. It's not the blockbuster, but they gave it to Clint Eastwood, and it's a really good fight like last Western ever made, you know? So I can see giving it to it, but it's still not the, you know, A Few Good Men. I think I would have preferred that because that's a great movie. But then, then you got it, all right? So look at this. In the 90s, we have three movies completely worthy where in the 2000s, we have nothing. 2010s, we have nothing so far, nothing. But in in the 90s, three films, and I'm going to hit you with this one from 1991, and you tell me if I'm crazy, this is the one. Silence of the Lambs. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The fact that a movie like that, you go down this list, nothing's scarier or terrifying than the Silence of the Lambs and all the lists that we just went through. The reason that one, it, with its content and everything, there's nothing more you know, gruesome and gory and terrifying as Silence of the Lambs. It won because it's that good. It's that good. It beat out JFK, which, you know, at that point, was ridiculous in its uh, braveness and its length and, you know, its telling of that particular side of the story. Silence of the Lambs was that good. It had to beat out JFK, and it's completely deserving of a best picture of the year because it's amazing. I know they've made like four sequels from it already, but it is terrific. I mean, you know, you know it is. And I talk about it all the time. I mean, that, and Jodie Foster, completely deserving. But, I mean, Anthony Hopkins, I've talked about it all last year. We talked about, last year we went down the best actor list, I believe, right? And when we say the people that actually deserve it, like we're talking about right now. We did this last year with best actors. People that deserve it. People actually deserve that they actually won a best actor award because they are the best actor. Anthony Hopkins, they stood 
for the performance, not for the Lifetime Achievement Award like Al Pacino won for Scent of a Woman. They stood because the performance was so out of this world and so phenomenal and so like nothing anyone had ever done or seen before. They stood. They gave him a standing fucking ovation because he deserved it. When Tom Hanks won for Forrest Gump, they gave him a standing ovation because he deserved it because he won two years in a row. And it was a hell of a performance. But it wasn't like the standing ovation that Anthony Hopkins won for the pure performance of Silence of the Lambs. I can't remember if we had another one like that. But that's the one. And 1990, Dances with Wolves. Big deal. You know, that one doesn't stand the test of time. Nobody cares. And there it is. So we, 20 years, we've been looking for a movie to wow us. And none of them have come since Titanic. There hasn't been a movie that is deserving of a best picture since 1997, 20 years ago. And it's not going to start now with La La Land. When we go over this list 20 years from now, and you know I will, La La Land is going to be one of those ones we just push aside and we're going to say it won because everything else on that list sucks. What do they got, 10 films on that list? They're all horrible. La La Land should win. Everything else stinks. My God. What happened? Why, they just make really crappy movies, I guess. Meanwhile, you know, I put Captain America Civil War up there. Put Doctor Strange up there. Well, I mean, I don't know. Everybody seems to like it. It's making a shitload of money. I know they always say, why, don't, why doesn't the box office reflect the Oscars? But why doesn't it i'm not going to see manchester by the sea if it wins best picture i don't care not interested it's too depressing la la land i guess is a reflection of the time i mean in the in a way it has the criteria because it's an escape film from all the people that are very angry at what's happening in the in the world it's a statement on uh, what's happening in the white house i guess for people other people, not me. My God, stop protesting. I can't get my car out of the garage. It's driving me crazy. Not my president day? Are you kidding? Go home. Be with your families. Stop complaining, please. It's driving me crazy. I can't go anywhere. It's a nightmare. Give him a chance. He hasn't even been in office 100 days. Please, I'm begging you. Stop protesting uh, is it working if you're telling me that the protesting is working maybe i'll let it go i don't see any changes so please stop i am just trying to go about my life and on a president's day weekend maybe that's the reason i stayed in the house i saw all the protesting i'm like i'll never be able to get out of the city so where am i going no wonder i'm depressed it was a beautiful day monday all i wanted to do was take the car out for a spin like, like, like Mr. Burns would. <laughs> I don't know. Well, anyway, that's our show for today. I hope you liked it. I enjoyed bringing it to you. Uh, we talked for much longer than I thought I would for a late night podcast. But I tell you, I was up and about. You know why? Because I was talking about stuff that I love. Comedy and movies. But that's definitely our show for today. Now, tomorrow I'm doing Top Papa's show, so we'll tell you how that went. But I'll probably forget about it by the time we do The Godfather. We'll only talk about Godfather and the performances. And, of course, I'll trash most of the cast again uh, next week. 
which will be our March 1st presentation. And what else I got going on? Of course, we'll uh, talk about another crashing episode on Sunday. We'll see how that show's progressing, how the ratings are doing there. And uh, maybe we'll bring a memo in or somebody that was in The Godfather that next day. Uh, I told you I tried to bring our, our friend Bethel in, but she's working all week and just couldn't make it. But that's all right. We had a good time by ourselves talking about comedy and movies. It doesn't get any better than that for this show or any of the shows that we like to listen to. Am I right? So we'll see you next week. Don't forget The Godfather, February 28th at the Village Underground. If you happen to live anywhere close or nearby New York City, please join me and Tom Cotter and Rachel Feinstein and Todd Barry and DC Benny and who am I missing? Uh, William Stevenson and Bethel Karam and... uh, I don't know. Whoever else is going to be in The Godfather, please come by. I think uh, maybe Nick Griffin's going to open for us. We'll see what happens. But it's going to be a great night, hopefully. And uh, then you'll get to judge later. And you'll let me know on Twitter. But if you're in town, please stop by Village Underground, February 28th, 8 o'clock. We'll see you then. See you next week on the podcast.